When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, I was on Twitter X today, and uh, there was a very interesting series of articles that was posted there by a Twitter user named Jeff Knox, who posts a lot of different things about UFOs, and he has a, an, an interest in it. And there was an article there uh, about uh, an incident that happened 44 years ago today, on February 7th, 1980, in Australia, uh, where a ranch hand uh, was in the middle of the night heard heard a, uh, the dog start barking outside he went running outside and uh there was he didn't see anything and he, but he heard all this timber cr- crackling and uh, crunching and and then he went over to this cypress tree and he looked up and there was some kind of an object up there inside stuck on the top uh, toward the top of the tree this is a very interesting story i never heard this one before and uh, so i wanted to talk about that today first uh, anyway, there was a, a series of different articles uh, that Jeff Knox had posted on Twitter, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to refer to one of those articles here. For this was from the Australian Post from March 27, 1980, and it says unidentified flying object sightings are a dime a dozen. If we were to believe all that people say they saw, it would be hard to understand how commercial flights negotiate the skies with all the unscheduled traffic. Well, I I I, I don't I don't know what to say about that opening comment by this reporter from. Uh, what, 44 years ago, but uh, uh, I don't know what to say about it, other than this person obviously has a hard time believing in this phenomenon. But anyway, it says, all that aside, things do happen that defy a simple answer and bring up that oft-repeated question, has our Earth been visited by some extraterrestrial craft? Uh, I would have to say to that, uh, uh, yes, unquestionably yes. Uh, Daryl Brown, 21, is a young man who works at the Glenalta, uh, excuse me, the Glenalta Stud in a very picturesque setting at Sterling, about 30 kilometers outside of Adelaide. Though I believe that there is life out there somewhere in the universe, I have never given any great credence to all of the stories you hear about UFOs, Daryl said. However, events on a recent night when he himself experienced what could only be called a rather strange encounter of the second kind has caused Daryl to have second thoughts. Not being a great believer myself in UFOs, I drove to the property to see the damage that has been reportedly caused by a UFO and to talk to Daryl, a horse stud hand who saw it all. Of course, as the reporter makes it clear, this person, he doesn't believe in this kind of stuff because especially back in 1980, if you're a reporter and you say you, you, you believe in this kind of thing, well, that makes you silly. <clears throat> anyway, continuing. The stud certainly seemed a pleasant enough place for visitors from afar to for, to get a glimpse of our planet. Magnificent thoroughbreds romped around enclosures dotted with stately gurns. A, a winding road led down to the stud homestead surrounded by a number of large trees. The largest of the trees was a huge 70-meter cypress pine over 120 years old, and it was here that whatever it was chose to come to rest. Uh, damage to the tree was extensive and immediately obvious as were two UFO researchers dangerously perched high up the tree, taking photos of the damage and samples of the bark. 
well, here we go. This is a, a clear case of physical trace evidence where uh, an object actually damaged the tree and knocked branches down and caused the bark to come off and put a hole in the tree. A large section of the tree, about 30 meters above the ground, had been devastated and a huge hole gouged out. Branches as large as a meter in circumference had been shattered, seemingly by a very powerful impact. Daryl Brown was engaged in his stud duties, a little overawed by the media coverage, but happy to talk about what he had seen. It was about 9.45 a.m. on Thursday night, Daryl said. I was lying on a bed in one of the second-story rooms watching television with the children when the two dogs outside started to howl in a quite eerie fashion. It was a sound I had never heard from them before. Uh, and actually, in a different article, uh, he, he pointed out that the dogs sounded like, coyote, like wild coyotes howling at the moon. Less than a minute later, there was a tremendous crashing noise, and I thought a tree had fallen on the house. This seemed rather strange, as there was no wind that night. I raced to the window and looked out, but could see nothing in the darkness. Accompanied by the kids and with a torch in hand, uh, flashlight, for those in the United States who uh, call them flashlights, in Australia they call them torches, I went downstairs to see what had happened. As soon as I opened the door, the dogs raced inside and sat down shivering and shaking. One of the dogs is a huge Great Dane that is not easily intimidated. Daryl continued, I went around to one side of the house but could find no sign of damage. As I was coming back, however, loud creaking and cracking noises were plainly audible from the cypress pine that stands close to one side of the house. I sent the kids inside and then went over to investigate with the torch. Daryl shone his torch up into the huge tree and was more than a little surprised at what he saw. There, about 30 meters above the ground, was a large, long yellow object caught in the tree. I reckon it was about eight meters in length, Daryl said, and it looked very much like the hull of a boat. It was not making any noise, nor did it appear to be moving, though the branches were creaking under its weight. <laughs> wow. I raced inside and immediately phoned the police, and though I wasn't really terrified, I decided to play it safe and stay there until they arrived. However, when the police phoned back to say they couldn't find the place, I went up to the front gate to show them the way down. When the police arrived, they immediately pl played spotlights onto the tree, but to Darrell's surprise, the yellow object had vanished. All that remained was a scene of destruction. After searching for about an hour without success, the police left, leaving Darrell wondering just what he had seen. The next day, uh, the Glenalta stud was a hive of activity as the media and members of UFO organizations arrived to view the damage and hear Darrell's account of the night's proceedings. Tests with a Geiger counter revealed no abnormal radiation, but an infrared detector showed that the tree was exuding large amounts of infrared heat compared with the surrounding area. Two members of a UFO research organization, Hori Appenall and Dean Pivis Pivelson, spent much of the following day precariously perched high up in the tree taking photos of the damage and samples of the bark. They found that a very large branch over a meter in circumference had been smashed and had probably caused the majority of the damage. The branch was completely healthy and, as there had been no wind that night, it seemed unlikely that it could have broken on its own accord. There were a few other interesting occurrences that seemed to add to the mystery. All of the horse's manure in the stable the following morning was an unusual black color. It is always golden brown. One of the rugs on a horse in the paddock had been unbuckled and placed by the gate by someone or something. Another interesting feature is that amateur radio operators in the Adelaide area reported a blackout of transmissions on that particular night. 
It seemed remarkably similar to an incident at Meadows in June 1966 when 25 branches high in a pine tree were smashed for no apparent reason. Now, I think that story is absolutely incredible, and it does show that the... Uh, uh, <laughs> that these things do leave physical trace evidence, and sometimes it's, it's, it's trees that get completely damaged and, or destroyed. Uh, another interesting, uh, there was another sex, uh, piece of a different article where it said uh, the next day that the Great Dane, uh, there were two dogs, and the Great Dane was still too terrified to go close to the tree. Uh, last night, uh, he and the other dog stayed inside in terror and would not go outside when Mr. Brown called them. I can't explain what it was, Brown said. I've never seen anything like it before. It was a very still night. There was no wind up here, and there was nothing uh, that could could have caused the damage. Uh, so, very interesting story. A very interesting case. You know, I, I like to know what the what government officials would would have you believe it was. Maybe maybe uh, Sean Kirkpatrick will tell us it was a uh, balloon uh, covered with some sort of metallic substance that landed in the tree temporarily and then took off again. Uh, I'm so sick of being lied to about this, but you see, this is something from what 44 years ago now, and uh, in Australia, a classic case, one that I've, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised I'm not, I was never aware of, but I find it fascinating. I find it very, very fascinating. And I will leave links here, and there are uh, some old newspaper clippings that Jeff Knox has uh, made available uh, on on this in a, several tweets. Uh, on Twitter X that you could check out. Uh, it's a very interesting story, but again, it's it goes it shows you, you can't you can't make something like this up. This guy, this 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 ranch hand that that uh, saw this thing that that heard this heard that heard it, the the damage occurring to the tree. You can't make something like this up. I mean, if you're going to make something up, uh, it's going to be something different than this. Uh, it's, it's an amazing story and and one that I think uh, deserves a little bit more attention. Anyway, uh, moving on, I want to talk about an article that appeared in Politico uh, recently, and it talked about Sean Kirkpatrick. And amazingly, uh, there was a, an official, a Pentagon official, who basically at one point in this article uh, disputes some of the claims made by Kirkpatrick, which I find very refreshing and very telling, basically. And the headline for this article says, Former UFO boss pentagon needs to be less secretive <clears throat> says here sean kirkpatrick says the defense department would have benefited from engaging with the public unknown unknown aircraft <laughs> yeah they would have been, they, they would have been uh, it would have behooved them to uh, uh engage with the public in a positive manner and tell the truth a long time ago but now kirkpatrick is saying that yeah maybe with the, they should just come out when and, and tell them oh yeah it's just balloons and all this kind of stuff basically that's what he's trying to tell us here uh, when Sean Kirkpatrick worked in the Pentagon as a top official overseeing the tracking of UFOs, he told his leadership that the department wasn't telling the public enough about the mysterious aircraft or the government's efforts to investigate them. You don't say, Sean. You don't say. Kirkpatrick, who served from July 2022 until December as the first director of the Pentagon office dedicated to investigating reports of UFOs, was concerned that conspiracy theorists would take advantage of the lack of information in the public sphere to promote their agendas. Now, let me just stop there for a second. You know, just recently, <clears throat> in a different interview, Kirkpatrick was talking about, like, he basically solved the entire Roswell case. He said he uh, did some research and, and discovered that the uh, back then what was being used uh, by the Army <clears throat> were these secret balloons that were coated with uh, some sort of a metallic substance, and people got confused. 
Like, I guess basically what he's saying is people like the top intelligence officer at the Roswell Army Airfield back in 1947, uh, Jesse Marcel Sr., uh, was confused by this, basically. That's what he's saying. All of the information, all of his research was basically just picking up a copy of a report that was issued back in 1997 by the Air Force that uh, talked about these mogul balloons, weather balloons, and and uh, crash test dummies. That's what people saw back in Roswell in 1947. That's all these witnesses uh, we're talking about. But let me just uh, stop there for a second because, you know, one of the things that Jesse Marcel Sr. said in, in interviews uh, that there, the stuff that he was posing with, there was these, these pictures where he was at Fort Worth with uh, his superior, General Ramey, back in 1947, where General Ramey explained that it was just a uh, weather balloon. And, and there's a picture of Marcel holding this uh, remnants of this obvious weather balloon. He's holding it up. But then in interviews later on in the late 70s and in the 80s, uh, before Marcel died, he talked about some of the materials that they recovered there, and some of the materials were uh, members that had uh, metal, some kind of metal or plastic that had uh, uh, hieroglyphics on them. It was writing of some sort, but they couldn't understand it. And there was pieces of metal, two large pieces of metal. He said the metal uh, that they were handling was no thick, thicker than a, than a piece of the foil that you could find inside of a pack of cigarettes. Well, for those who are listening right now, I'm holding a piece of foil from a pack of cigarettes and it's a very thin little piece of paper. That's all it is. It's nothing. And he said it was that thin, but yet you couldn't bend it. You couldn't break it. And even they even took a sledgehammer to it and they couldn't put a dent in it. That doesn't sound like balloon material to me. And as uh, Marcel uh, stated back then that he knew all kinds of, uh, uh, materials that were used in aircraft and this was stuff that he never saw before or since so Kirkpatrick is just a liar and that's all he is but anyway let's continue here <clears throat> he said there was a very strong concern to engage uh, this is a direct quote from Kirkpatrick he says there was a very strong concern to engage in the public discourse as often as I thought we needed to the fact that they Pentagon leadership can't figure out how to get that message without concern for spillage into other areas has always been a frustrating point well, let me tell you what's a frustrating point, Kirkpatrick, is the fact that uh, the Pentagon for decades now has been lying about what they know about the extraterrestrial presence and about objects that they have recovered uh, uh, from crashes of these UFOs. They're, they've been lying about it for years. That's that's the frustrating, the real frustrating point. The reality, uh, the, the 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 real the the reality of the situation is that uh, everyone is really frustrated. Uh, people who know that there's a cover up, people who have done enough research to understand that there is something being hidden. That's that's what's frustrating. That's the really frustrating part. <clears throat> but see what they're trying to do here, uh, I think, or what, what Kirkpatrick is doing, I think he's he's taking his cues from the control group, apparently. Uh, I think what they're trying to do here is, is get the media to be disinterested in this again. That's what, that's what this is all about. That's what his disinformation tour, that's the purpose of it. Anyway, <clears throat> continuing here, he says, he made the comments after Politico reached out for a response to Defense Department Inspector General report in late January concluding the Pentagon's efforts to identify UFOs are uncoordinated and could have overlooked threats to the United States. Kirkpatrick now provides strategic scientific and intelligence consulting services under Nonlinear Solutions LLC and serves as the chief technology officer for Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Let me just stop there for a second. So for people who, who don't know, Oak Ridge is basically completely sponsored by the United States Department of Energy. So he's still basically working for the government here, right? And the Department of Energy, as many people who have done their research, has been highly interested in UFOs over the decades. We, we know that. 
Uh, so w w he knows about these things, and now he's part of it. He's the chief technology officer there. And I can assure you that at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, which, again, is basically an extension of the uh, energy department, the, the United States Department of Energy, uh, I could tell you uh, with a surety that uh, they know all about this, and that means he does too, because he's the chief technology officer there. Pentagon secrecy regarding UFOs re-entered the spotlight last year when retired Major David Grush, a former Air Force intelligence official, accused the government of covering up a decades-long program to retrieve and reverse engineer alien craft. At the time, Kirkpatrick took to social media to post a personal memo which included a caveat that it reflected the views and not those reflected his views and not those of the United States government, vehemently denying the allegations. Kirkpatrick added in an interview that his former boss, Deputy Secretary Kath Kathleen Hicks, was supportive of his efforts as UFO chief. Still, his attempts to engage the media always met internal resistance in the staffing process, he said. Kirkpatrick did only two on-camera interviews during his 18 months in office. He also conducted two print interviews, including with Politico, and two off-camera media briefings. But guess what, folks? That's not a truthful statement because according to Eric Pahan, a Pentagon spokesperson, he disputed Kirkpatrick's claim that the department sh shot down the UFO chief's media requests. Standard procedure within the department is to have public engagements cleared by higher officials. To our knowledge, any media engagement Dr. Kirkpatrick recommended or requested was approved, Payon said. Dr. Kirkpatrick's commitment to transparency with the United States Congress and the American public on UAP leaves a legacy the department will carry forward as the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office continues its mission. <laughs> Now, I find this interesting. Now, now you have somebody from the Department of Defense saying, yeah, we, 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 gave, him, uh, we gave him permission. We, we would have given it to him. We don't know what he's talking about. I don't, know, I don't know what to say about this, but I guess uh, I'm glad that somebody in the, in, in the Pentagon is, at least has the guts to say that Kirkpatrick is being untruthful when he makes certain kinds of statements. Uh, anyway, continuing here, it says, Kirkpatrick said the Pentagon is reticent to engage on the subject because it's concerned about getting caught up in a web of conspiracy theories that has long existed surrounding the issue of UFOs. He argued that staying silent just exasperates the problem. Okay, but the problem is here is when you go on your disinformation tours, it's just going to, it's the, at what you're saying right now, all these things that Kirkpatrick makes statements about, like Roswell, uh, the ridiculous statements he made about Roswell, th that makes it me, the conspiracy theorists are going to be even more outraged so what are you talking about because every time you the truth of the matter is this is that the government's covering this up and a lot of us out here know it and we want to, to tell the truth already that's what the whole issue is here if there is a void in the information space it will be filled with the imagination of the public and the conspiracies and these accusations kirkpatrick said okay yeah all right, all right yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly what i'm saying here uh, there is a void in, in the information space because you're not providing the truth and we know that you're lying. I mean, we know that you're lying because, again, you just talked about Roswell again. You, you, you solved Roswell by, by dusting off a 27-year-old Air Force report and just uh, it, talk, basically stating what they t said in there verbatim. We're hearing the same stuff that we heard years ago and it's still as ridiculous now as it was then. Instead, he argued the Pentagon should be more forceful in explaining and defending Arrow and its mission, which is to investigate these unexplained phenomenon that may pose a threat to United States operations uh, and not to go and find extraterrestrials. Well, guess what? You've already found them and you're keeping it a secret and now you're just continuing this bogus nonsense of, of a story that you're, you're pushing the same story that other people before you have pushed. 
While he said Pentagon leadership <clears throat> generally was reluctant to talk publicly about UFOs, he praised Hicks for her support of the Arrow mission. She was the catalyst that made us get to where we were, Kirkpatrick said. I could not have done it without her. Uh, yeah. Okay, but you know, I, I you have to understand, you you have to realize that behind the scenes, we don't know these people are, you know, they they put on a different kind of facade in public, but we you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. For all we know, these people hate each other's guts. Still, one thing that could have benefited from more transparency was the recent Inspector General report that the Department of Defense just released, concluding the Pentagon's efforts to identify UFOs are uncoordinated and could have overlooked threats to the United States. Yeah, they don't. They don't like that. They don't like the uh, that Inspector General report, uh, Arrow or anyone in the Pentagon. They hate it. They hate that. They hate that they're be being told that their uh, their investigation is uncoordinated. <clears throat> that review, which began internally rather than from an outside request, covered only a period of time up until Arrow's uh, up until the Arrow office launched. Kirkpatrick said while he reviewed the report last summer and agreed with all of its findings, they didn't really fully account for the progress that has been made by Arrow. He said, "What progress? The issuance of more lies to the public? I mean, that's that's your progress." Arrow tried to get the Inspector General to include a review of the office's actions, but, quote, they wanted to close it out, he added. The final report, quote, can be very misleading if you aren't aware of all the context. Listen, buddy, we're aware of the context. You know, context could be found, actually, in the leaked document. The uh, There was a document, the uh, Special Operations Manual for Majestic 12 that was leaked to uh, UFO investigator Don Berliner back in 1994, and if you check that out, uh, I think that this this is this was with regard to crash retrievals and how they handled them. They they basically uh, talked about what to do with alien bodies, live aliens that are captured, UFOs, how to secure crash sites, you know, how to you know all that kind of stuff. And there, there was a section in there called press blackout, and I I believe that this stuff still applies today. And so and according to this. Uh, this this uh, top secret operations manual it talks about how to uh, lie to the press and, and keep everything a secret when these things crash it says here press blackout great care must be taken to preserve the security of any location where extraterrestrial technology might be retrievable for scientific study extreme measures must be taken to protect and preserve any material or craft from discovery examination or removal by civilian agencies or individuals of the general public it is therefore recommended that a local that a total press blackout be initiated whenever possible if this course of action should not prove feasible the following cover stories are suggested for release to the press the officer in charge will act quickly to select the cover story that best fits the situation it should be remembered when selecting a cover story that official policy regarding ufobs they used to call them ufobs at that in, in this is from 1954 by the way this this uh this uh manual is that they do not exist uh, and then it talks about official denial. The most desirable response would be that nothing unusual has occurred by stating that the government has no knowledge of the event. Further investigation by the public press must be may be forestalled. B. Discredit witnesses. If at all possible, witnesses will be held incommunicado until the extent of their knowledge and involvement can be determined. Witnesses will be discouraged from talking about what they have seen, and intimidation may be necessary to ensure their cooperation. If witnesses have already contacted the press, it will be necessary to discredit the their stories. This can best be done by the assertion that they have either misinterpreted natural events, are the victims of hysteria or hallucinations, or are the perpetrators of hoaxes. 
deceptive statements. It may become necessary to issue false statements to preserve the security of the site. Meteors, downed satellites, weather balloons, and military aircraft are all acceptable alternatives, although in the case of the downed military aircraft statement, care should be exercised not to suggest that the aircraft might be experimental or secret, as this might arouse more curiosity of both the American and the foreign press. Statement issues concerning contamination of the area due to toxic spills from trucks or railroad tankers can also serve to keep unauthorized or undesirable personnel away from the area. Uh, the area must be, and then it talks about how they secure the area. Uh, the, the area must be secured as rapidly as possible to keep unauthorized personnel from infiltrating the site. The officer in charge will set up a perimeter and establish a command post inside the perimeter. Personnel allowed on the site will be kept to the absolute minimum necessary to prepare the craft or, or debris for transport, and it will consist of military security teams. Local authorities may be pressed into service as traffic and crowd control. Under no circumstances will local official or law enforcement personnel be allowed inside the perimeter, and all necessary precautions should be taken to ensure that they do not interfere with the operation. Uh, and this goes on. I mean, this is... Um, this was actually... I'm actually reading this from the uh, late Stanton Friedman's book, Top Secret Magic. You could, I'll I'll leave a link so you could check out. There's other websites that talk about this. I've talked about this manual on on this on the podcast before. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why it is real, uh, but it is real, and that's and and they operate. That's how they think. They, this, the, there's there's something going on behind the scenes when it comes to UFOs, crash retrievals, and this entire and this entire uh, phenomenon. And there are there's most certainly a, a group within the government that is uh, doing everything they can there is no way that they will ever release this stuff to the public willingly. I don't know how we're going to get it away from the way things are right now. It's, it's re looking really bad. Anyway, uh, moving on, I want to talk about a, uh, a, uh, some new news from uh, about regarding Avi Loeb, the Harvard professor. Uh, he, remember, he, he uh, went to the Pacific Ocean uh, last year and he, and he found these spherules and he had people... Uh, he thinks that it was from an object from uh, that could possibly have been uh, manufactured by some alien race and sent out into, into space. Uh, now, a lot of his peers, I, I talked about this in previous podcasts, where uh, they, they don't like Abby Loeb looking into this or, or talking about this. They, they they think it takes all of their uh, all of the uh, wind out of their sails. Uh, basically, they don't like it. Uh, but anyway, and they were also claiming that uh, that the uh, that the stuff that he found in the bottom of the ocean, he actually went on to you know he. They, they ran this sled on the bottom of the ocean where this object came down back in 2014 and they got these little they found these little spherules but his some of his colleagues some of his peers are saying well it's just uh, uh coal fly ash well uh guess what uh avi Loeb has proved those people wrong and he's come out with a new paper uh to that effect anyway here's an article from uh wgbh.org harvard astronomer harvard astronomy professor avi Loeb thinks he has new evidence of alien spacecraft and it says uh Last June, he recovered small magnetic spherules from the Pacific Ocean and claims that the small round objects were from a watermelon-sized object that collided with Earth in 2014. In other words, a piece of alien-built technology. It raises the possibility that it may have been a Voyager-like meteor artificially made by another civilization, Loeb said on GBH's Boston Public Radio Monday. 
He first put out a preprint with his findings last summer. Since then, several researchers unrelated to the expedition have pushed back on his analysis. One October 2023 paper deemed the spherules were made by human-produced coal ash. Loeb put out new findings last week that he claims debunked that theory. Let me just stop there for a second uh, to those uh, uh, other researchers who put out that uh, paper that didn't believe it, uh, that this could be alien and that they that it was coal ash. So all I have to say to you is this. Ha ha! What we did is compare 55 elements from the periodic table in coal ash to those special spherules that we found, he said, and it's clearly very different. He said his work follows the scientific method, collecting materials, analyzing them, and following the evidence. It's not based on opinions, Loeb said, and of course, if you're not part of that scientific process and you are jealous of the attention that it gets, then you, then you can raise a lot of criticism. When asked how he deals with that criticism, he said that, by now my skin turned into titanium. Loeb rose to prominence when he controversially claimed that Oumuamua, a hundreds-meter-long cigar-shaped interstellar object that passed through our solar system in 2017, was an object created by intelligent aliens. Uh, others theorized that while the object's behavior was unusual, it was simply a comet and published a paper to that effect last March. Since staking that claim, Loeb has gone on to found the Galileo Project at Harvard. It uses an observatory at the university to constantly comb the sky in search of extraterrestrial life, analyzing the findings with machine learning, he said. He believes more observatories should be built to expand on research of what's passing through closer to Earth since astronomers are often fixated on faraway objects. The best approach to figure it out is actually to do the scientific work of building observatories that look out and check what these objects are, Loeb said, and if they happen to be birds or airplanes or Chinese balloons, so be it. We can move on after that, but we need to figure it out. It's our civil duty as scientists. The universe is so vast that rather than keep telling ourselves that there is nothing like us, we should search for it. Search for it. <laughs> The article goes on to say, in two weeks, he's making a trip to Poland to deliver a speech for the 550th anniversary of the birth of Copernicus, who famously proved that the Earth orbits the sun. He wants to promote a more abstract idea in the same paradigm, that humans are not the center of the intellectual universe. They don't care about us before, because we existed on Earth only for a few million years, the human species, and they started the journey probably billions of years ago. You know, I'm really, you know, I've had issues in the past, you know, talking about Avi Lowe, but I've, I, I, I really like what he's doing, and I like the way he slams back at these other scientists who are basically still living in the past, who don't do any research and complain about somebody who does actually go out and do real science. I, you have to uh, appreciate, uh, I appreciate what he's doing. Uh, he's trying to find scientific evidence of extraterrestrial life, and I think it's awesome, and I, I love the I love how he talks back to these people who are doing nothing, who are basically still uh, seem to be stuck in textbooks that were published in 1971. So yeah, uh, I, I give applause to Avi Loeb for doing a great job and for sticking to it. Great job, Avi Loeb! Congratulations. Anyway, uh, one more thing I want to do. I want to uh, talk about the most recent poll I've conducted on uh, Spotify. Uh, in the for the most recent episode, and that was uh, the episode "The World Needs a Demonstration." Uh, I had a lot of responses for this one, uh, a lot of comments I received on Spotify and YouTube uh, for that previous episode. I asked this question: Who will be the first to provide UFO disclosure on a worldwide scale? 65 votes so far. Uh, 26 people or 40 percent say government or governments. Uh, and 39 people or 60% say extraterrestrial slash 
non-human intelligences. Um, yeah, I'm really starting to think it's not going to be the government. It really, really seems to me right now that the control group really is trying to clamp down and they don't care. They're tripling, tri tripling down, quadrupling down on their lies. They have Kirkpatrick on his disinformation tour. Uh, it's really disgusting. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to, I think something's going to happen, uh, probably with the extraterrestrials at some point, uh, that they're, I, I would like to see them just make a demonstration already and get a, get this over with so we can move on and, and take things from there. Anyway, uh, I want to say thank you all for joining me. Until next time.